I tell you what, if we had a fourth service, the roof would come off. It's been amazing all day long. Thank you for being here. Welcome to those in the chapel. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for making uh, the chapel part of your experience. The services are fuller and fuller and more fuller as time goes on. And we got three now, so uh, the chapel folks are being a great blessing and being a part of that ministry. Those online, we welcome you. And um, turn, with you, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. And if you think we forgot the offering, I ain't that stupid. <laughs> we're, 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 with the three services and the schedule being as it is, we've kind of reworked that a little bit. And so we're going to do a little seven-minute thing at the end. So uh, we're going to, and if, if we forget something, it'll be the announcements and the offering. And we won't forget that too many weeks and we'll remember it, all right? But turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. And I told you last Sunday I wanted to share some thoughts with you that have been on my heart over the summer and a passion uh, that uh, these passions that just really are important, I think, for our future as a church. Uh, Eastlake has always been a place that is um, committed uh, to prayer. We've tried to do our best over the years to make sure that's important in different ways. Um, three or four years ago, we really sort of got really strategic about that and said, how do we do that? And uh, the word that often, the phrase that often comes up in that is the passage that we read this morning, and that is, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of preaching, I mean singing, I mean prayer, right? And isn't it interesting, he didn't say any of the latter. He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of preaching, a house of singing. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's a phrase, it's a, it's, a, it's a scripture we quote often. As a matter of fact, the church that planted us, the name of that church was Parkway House of Prayer. So how could we not be involved in prayer? We want to understand this morning and over the next couple Sundays what, what that means more. Jesus is quoting, or speaking rather, in Mark's Gospel chapter 11. It appears also in Luke 19 in Matthew 21 and in John chapter 2. We're going to look at Mark 11 this morning just to give you a bit of context. Jesus is making the largest political blunder of any politician in the history. No, I back that up. There's some in the sense that have done that. Uh, we have some political folks in our church. We had some folks last service, some this service. Melvin, good to see you and Sandy. And Melvin knows that you don't do what Jesus does here because politically it's not smart. When his latest poll numbers came in, he had reached his highest poll numbers in the history of his ministry. He comes into Jerusalem on Sunday riding on a donkey and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. They're singing his praises. They're wanting, him to, they're wanting to usher him right to the throne of the king of, of the Jews. The next day, Jesus curses a fig tree. And I imagine some of his political... Uh, if you'll allow me to uh, imagine for a moment, some of his political advisors would have said, you know, geez, you probably shouldn't do that right now. That doesn't go well. He goes back to Bethany. He spends the night and he lays there and he imagines something else he wants to do. And he comes back into Jerusalem on Tuesday. And we pick that up in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 15. And this is where Jesus really becomes politically incorrect. And they came to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. 
Verse 16 is a verse we often fly over, but it's important. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Verse 17, after he goes around, and we don't know how long it was, we don't know how long this this, uh, sort of physical outburst of passion and anger lasts, but this sinless anger, Jesus goes around the, the, the temple doing this, and then he stands up, and I imagine by this time he has everybody's attention, he's probably sweating and out of breath, and he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. The political leaders, the the religious leaders, had a political quandary of their own. Because their political quandary was, all the average people like this man... Because they were getting ripped off, and then when Jesus is doing what he's doing, they're going, go Jesus. But the priest and the Pharisees and the scribes were looking, saying, he's tearing up our system. we got to get rid of this man. But they knew that if they went and arrested him on the spot, that the whole place would turn into a riot. So they let him go, and then, as one scholar said, this began the ball rolling for Jesus' crucifixion four days later. Jesus is in the temple, which we read this morning, and just for perspective and understanding, I'll show you a picture of kind of what was going on and where he was. As you are familiar with the temple, there are, there, this was about 35 acres. It's, uh, it's the temple that Herod rebuilt in about 20 B.C. In the, in the Jewish temple, there were very exclusive parts of that temple. As you know, the part I, I pointed out, there were only priests allowed in that certain part, and inside of there, actually only high priests on rare occasions were allowed into the innermost part of that, the holiest of holies. Then there was that corridor, that court where the Jews only were allowed, and there was a portion there where only male Jews were allowed. The outer area that you see was called the Court of the Gentiles. That was a a much larger area, and and non-Jews were certainly welcome there. And Jesus is probably teaching under the the, uh, portico on the south end of the Temple Mount there, in the shade, probably teaching. And all of this this, uh, uh, open area where the Court of the Gentiles was filled with people, filled with tables, filled with vendors, and Jesus is teaching. He comes in, and I believe he laid in bed in Bethlehem the night before and imagine doing this and made the plan to do it. It was premeditated. And as he began to watch what was going on, this this, uh, commercial abuse of the purposes of God, he can't stand it anymore and he does what is hard to imagine Jesus doing and he runs around in the temple yard and in the court of the Gentiles knocking over the table of the money changers, knocking over chairs, stopping people from walking through. And this is the guy that said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is the one who's called the, uh, you know, the prince of peace. Really, this story that, that we read this morning has two parts to it. One we call the temple tantrum that I just described. 
I think that's a good name, don't you? Jesus had a temple tantrum. I had a few of those when I was a kid, but they weren't sanctified. In that, he, as I said, he kicked over the table of the money changers. You see, if you came to the Jewish temple, you had to pay a temple tax. And if you had a Greek coin or a Roman coin, it had, the, it had an image of a false god on it. And you couldn't pay your temple tax with an image, with a, with a coin with a false god's image on it. And so you had to go to a money changer, and they would change your money to a Jewish or a Tyrian shekel. And so you would get rid of the pagan coin and get a Jewish coin, and you would go in and pay your temple tax. And along the way, somebody decided, hey, they ain't got no choice. They got to change your money. We ought to charge them a little bit. And as time goes on, they decided, man, this is working out. We got fish in a barrel here. They're just coming right to us. So they just started raising the fee. And all of a sudden, they discovered this is lucrative. We're getting rich. And all the faithful Jews would come from far and wide, and they would come to the temple and pay this and exchange their money and be extorted at the same time. And Jesus is standing there looking at it, and he's going, man, this thing has gone down the tubes. This is not what was intended. He knocked over the seats of those selling pigeons. There were also vendors there who, who uh, in, in like manner, people would come from a long distance. You wouldn't bring your animal for your sacrifice with you on the journey. You would actually sell the animal at your house, bring the money, and come to the temple and buy an animal and take the animal for the sacrifice. And the people in like manner said, you know, this is actually a pretty good idea. We got people here. they got to have a sacrifice. The law demands it. And there really wasn't anything wrong with what the, the concept of what they were doing. It was the extortion and the corruption and the, the, the over-commercialization of the house of God that was getting Jesus. Could we preach here for a while or should we just go right on? You know, it's an ironic day, actually. I'm preaching this message and the announce, one of the big announcements we're going to make is about our new app. And we're talking about how you can give electronically. So it's kind of ironic that we're doing that on the same day. Don't anybody knock my table over. And then Jesus, it says in verse 6, and he forbid anyone to pass through. Actually, they say that, that the, the, the temple was such a large area that it was, some people had to walk around it. And rather than walk around it, it just become commonplace for people just to cut through. Just use it as a shortcut. And, so, and, and the scripture says in verse 16 that Jesus forbid anyone to pass. So he's going over to the, he said, no, 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 you're not going, you go around. This is ridiculous. You've turned this into a shortcut. Nothing more than a shortcut. This is not a shortcut. This is the house of God. Boom, he knocks the table over. What do you think you're doing? Getting rich off these people. This is nothing more than a commercial enterprise. And then there's the reason for his reaction. The reason for his reaction he gives, Jesus actually sweating and out of breath stands up and he begins to quote the Old Testament. And he quotes Isaiah 56 verse 7. And he marries it to Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And he says, is it not written, Isaiah 56, 7, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And then he goes over to Jeremiah 7, 11, takes a phrase and puts it on that. And he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. You've made it a cave of thieves. And, and, and the priest and those standing there hearing this, they knew what Jeremiah 7 said. They knew what Isaiah 56 said. They knew that Jeremiah 7 was talking about corrupt priests who were deceivers and thieves and liars and who were going to be so, soon doomed. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that Jeremiah had said this. 
And they'd say, Jesus is saying that we are the priest in Jeremiah. No, well, wait a minute. And Jesus said, have you not heard? It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you have made it a den of robbers. He conjoins uh, Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, puts them together. Look at at these verses in Isaiah 56. These, this is a beautiful verse. These non-Jews, non-believers I will, this is God prophesying 700 years before this. I'm going to, there's going to come a day where I'm going to bring all the non-Jews and non-believers as well to my holy mountain and then make them joyful in my house of prayer. It's a good verse, a positive verse. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And the emphasis in Jeremiah or Isaiah 56 is not my house should be called a house of prayer, as important as that is. It is my house should be called a house of prayer for everybody. And the point there is that in all of Isaiah 56, he's talking about the foreigner and the Gentiles and those who are on the outs. And, and, and Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit's anointing, is prophesying that there's coming a day where all people of faith, whether they're Jewish or not, I'm going to bring all these people to my holy mountain, and my house is going to be a house of prayer for all people. And it's the word amim in Hebrew, which is translated ethne in Greek, which is tra- translated ethnicity in English. I'm going to bring all ethnicities. And Jeremiah seven eleven, Jeremiah's prophesying, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your house. And Jesus marries these two things. And he helps us understand, sort of better, better understand rather, what he, is, what he is talking about. And if my computer don't open up, you're dismissed. No, trust me, I've done this twice, I could go without it. And you, it wouldn't be good, we'd probably go longer. Jesus quotes these two Old Testament passages and, and declares that his house shall be called a house, of, a house of prayer, which raises the question for us, and we're going to begin to discuss it this morning and over the next couple Sundays. What is a house of prayer? What does it mean for us at Eastlake to be a house of prayer? What did it mean? What was Jesus wanting when he said, don't you guys know this is supposed to be a house of prayer? What does it mean? Let me just give you a couple things to consider. The first one is that a house of prayer is a place designed to display the glory of God. Jesus describes this place as not belonging to the people, but he says, my house, my house, this is about me. This is about our heavenly father. This thing was built To show the world that there is one true, holy, wonderful, beautiful, creating God. And it's Jehovah. It's not all these pagan gods. This temple was built to show the world the glory of God. This is my house. This is God's house. In the house that that the Lord built, the temple that the Lord had built, And this was the third iteration of that temple, which we'll mention in a moment. But in this temple, originally the Ark of the Covenant was kept in it. And the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. It was the earthly dwelling place of God. And it was built a thousand years before this. Solomon built the temple. You remember that. David woke up one day after moving into his new palace. And he looks out over his back deck and he says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he looks out and he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And he says, what am I doing staying in a palace and the Ark of Covenant is in a tent? 
And he called Nathan, let's build a house. And Nathan said, nope, you're not building a house. Your son's going to build the house. And, and Solomon, his son, a thousand years before Jesus, built the temple. And it was unbelievable. Why was it so ornate? Why were the, so much gold and silver and the cedars of Lebanon were carried down? The, the, the bold, oh, it was unbelievable. I'll tell you why it was. Because it was to show the world the glory of God. And Jesus is standing in the court of the Gentiles, the court of the world. And he's looking at the world coming into his father's temple. And this beautiful thing that everybody's supposed to look at and say, this is the glory of God, has become everybody looking at it going, that's where you go and get ripped off. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's designed to display the glory of God. This is, this is my house. It was a place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. It was to show the world the glory and the majesty of the one true God. The temple was ornate and magnificent, and all who saw it stood in awe of the God who designed it. It was a place for Jewish people to practice their religion as the law prescribed it. As I said, Solomon built the temple a thousand years before this. In 586 B.C., during the days of Jeremiah, when I preached about last week where Jeremiah prophesied that the Lord is going to destroy this place, if you guys don't stop committing idolatry, and and, and sure enough, in 586 B.C., about 400 and some years after it was built, the Babylonians came in and destroyed Solomon's temple. Ezra and those guys came back and rebuilt it. That was known as Zerubbabel's temple. It was later destroyed, and then 50 years before Jesus, Herod rebuilt the temple that I showed you a moment ago. Remnants of which are still there today. This was the third. But the point of this place was this was to be on Mount Moriah where God had spoken to Abraham. This was God's holy place. This was God's holy testimony. Everyone in the world would walk by and say, oh my goodness, that is the temple of the one true God. But there's a New Testament application to this that's important to get. And I want you to get this. Because sometimes we get hung up right there. And I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to sound irreverent or, or sacrilegious. But, but sometimes in the church we have only an Old Testament view of the house of God. Anybody here ever been spanked for running in a sanctuary? Don't raise your hand. Just judge me privately. But how many of you look around and say, oh, they're drinking coffee in the sanctuary. Don't raise your hand. Just judge me privately, okay? I believe in reverence and I want to be respectful and somebody's going to let their kid go and they're going to start marking on the floor right now because I said so, but I don't really want you to do that, honestly. But this building is not the house of God. Amen? Because there's a New Testament application to this, pr- this truth and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says to the body of believers in Corinth who were fighting, fussing, being immoral, suing each other, doing all these dumb things. He said, do you not know that you all collectively are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you remember Jesus saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. And so in the Old Testament, the presence of God and the glory of God was in a building. But in the New Testament, the presence of God and the glory of God is in God's people. And isn't it a shame when we build buildings trying to bring glory to God and all the people act like idiots? Not here, that's in other places, you know. I mean that. No, I'm serious. We can build the most glorious building, have all everything 
de- dedicated and 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 in honor of it can have all the most creative wonderful glorious things hallelujah but if the people of god are not filled with the spirit of god work we are the temple of the holy god today not the building amen and he takes it even further and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or do you not know that your body every one of us individually We are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So glorify God in your body. He goes on to say, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Turn to your neighbor and say, I just found out I'm a house of prayer. Turn it. Come on now. Come on. You're a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he said, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and your body is going to be the temple of God and I want you to glorify God in your body. And what is a house of prayer? It is that which is designed to show forth the glory of God to the world. When the world looks at me, they ought to see Jesus. When the world looks at the people of God getting together, they shouldn't read about it on the news about us fighting and fussing and feuding and suing each other. Somebody say amen. Because we are the temple of God. Our bodies, I just wonder if Jesus this morning isn't wanting to walk through some groups of Christians and just start kicking stuff over. I wonder, let me get personal for a moment, I wonder if he doesn't want to walk through some of our lives and start knocking tables over and say, what the world are you thinking? Have you not heard? It is written, this is the house of God. And it's for the glory of God and your life and your attitude and your behaviors and your representation to the world is to bring glory to God's holy, precious name. You're more valuable than Solomon's temple. Amen. That's good preaching if I happen to be the one doing it. That is good preaching. Because here's, we need to know this. We spend so much time on things that are unimportant and, and less time on the things that really matter, which is my life must be filled with the presence of God and must bring glory to those around me, not my church. So, oh, did you see our new church building? Hey, we're building a new church building. By the way, did you know that? I need a million bucks, by the way. But anyways, did you see our new church? Who gives a rip about the new church building if the people of God aren't representing God in this world? Amen. Secondly, the house of, uh, a house of prayer is a place of joy and blessing for the people of God. He said, my house, designed for God's glory, shall be called a house of prayer. The function of the house of God, Jesus said, is not what's going on in here right now. There is a function that ought to be happening in the house of God. So, back with me just a second. Remember, my body is the house of the Lord, right? And when we get together in Jesus' name, collectively, we are the temple of the Most High God. So there should be some functions that ought to be going on when the people of God get together and make up the house of God. Amen? And Jesus is talking, he's, he's looking at what's going on and he's going, you guys aren't even close. This isn't even close to what's supposed to be going on in here. You, you missed it by a million miles. This isn't even close. This is all about commercial enterprise, people getting rich, just humdrum. No, 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 no. You guys don't have a clue. What should be going on, Jesus? And I've listed them there for you. There should be worship. You are to come here and to reverence and to glorify and to honor and to lift up the holy name of God Almighty. 
and it should be a joyful worship experience. Amen? That's why the longer I live, the more I study the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit works in my life, I'm okay with cut and loose in worship. Because we come... But we're not allowed to clap. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes we, sometimes we come to church Good grief. No, you don't act like that anywhere else all week long. You know what I'm saying? It's like depressing. Not, not here. This is in like other planets, but not here. But I'm just saying that Jesus says, you guys understand, you're not here to rip people off. You should be all here celebrating. The, 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 I wish I had time to share the, 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 some, of the, some of the music and the festivities that went on in this Jewish worship service. There were trumpets. There were men's groups. There were ladies' groups. There, uh, there was a group of like 12 men, and they all would take their fathers, I mean their sons rather, and they would sing the Psalms of David, and people would dance. The trumpets would play. It was a glorious, reviving, energizing, wonderful time of worship of the Most High God. Amen. By the way, this in a couple of weeks when the ladies all go up the mountain, we're going to have a worship team of 12 men too because there ain't going to be ladies here. But anyways, they experienced that you came to meet the presence of God. You see, the presence of God was in the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was housed in the holiest of holies. And when you all came together, you came to be, you came to be in the presence of God. Now, I know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we can, we can be in the presence of God wherever, but there's something special about the power of God that is unleashed when God's people get together and just start worshiping and honoring and glorifying Him. That's why we need to make East Lake a house of prayer for all the people. Amen? There was a petition for divine help. That was, the temple was the place where you could go and talk to God and God would answer and do something big in your life. Oh, 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 wouldn't it be beautiful? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could just, we could just, when we get together, it's just a time of joyful, celebratory worship. It's a time of us interceding and seeking God and believing with all of our heart that he's hearing us. It's a time where we're experiencing the presence of God like we don't experience it anywhere else. And then we leave in awe and transformation by the power of God. Oh, I want to tell you something. That's a house of prayer. That's a house of prayer. You know, all, this, all of this says that the house of prayer is not about any person. That's, that's one of the things that really got Jesus, I believe. He said, this is not about you. This is about our Father. I went to a church. My wife and I went to a church a few years ago. And we happened to be visiting. We just randomly were on a little retreat weekend. And we went to this church. They said, today uh, we're passing out the ballot. And... Uh, Janelle, can you help me? How many, how many brands do they have? So they said, and we want you to vote today on what kind of worship we're going to have here at the church. And they had 15, right? 15 styles to choose from. I want to tell you something. As a pastor, a connoisseur of churches, I was having a ball. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I can't wait to show this to my friends. But as somebody who loves the church of Jesus Christ, I wept. They didn't, I don't know whatever happened. I didn't vote and I left. I, I'd give you a thousand bucks if I could find that sheet of paper. Now don't any of you money changers go home and make one up and email it to me. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's already thought that. I'll turn your table over just like Jesus did. But anyways, I said, they're not going to split this church. They're going to splinter it. 
I mean, literally on there was like stuff, no, only songs written before 1900. And then, then the most recent, like only songs written since 2000 or something like that. It was crazy. It was like, one was like Gaither. You know, it was just, I was just like, this is the dumbest thing ever because we've forgotten that it's not about us. It's about him. And we ought to come together. And if we're in Papua New Guinea, the worship style is going to be what God provides there, and it's going to be joyful and wonderful, and we ought to celebrate it. And if we're here, we celebrate it, and we don't try to say, well, I just got to figure out, what are these people like? Ooh. You know, that morning, I'll back this, tell you this story. Some of you will understand and appreciate what I'm going to say. I could tell they were trying to bridge a lot of gaps. This person likes older music. This person likes newer music. And they sang that morning. They sang, Our God is an Awesome God, which is about 15, 20 years old anyways. But they thought that was a new one. So they sang that one for the new one. And they went right into, Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. I'm like, what? I don't even know how. You can't even. It's, it's sin to sing those two songs in the same service, I'm confident. But the point was they were trying to please you and trying to please you. Why don't we just start trying to please him? Amen. And it's a place where the people of God come together for worship and the experience of the power and the presence of God, where we petition God and God intervenes on our behalf. And when we leave, we know we've been in the presence of God and we're not the same anymore. That's a house of prayer. A house of prayer, thirdly, and I close with this, is a place of attraction and persuasion for the unbeliever. This, this, this struck me like it never has before this week. When I began to try to understand this passage of Scripture, one of the things you do is you read it, and you read everywhere it is in Scripture, and if there's any reference points that come to it. And when I began to, when I began to study the quotes that Jesus was giving out of the Old Testament, this is what really struck me. In Isaiah chapter 56, the whole chapter is really about the foreigner. Part of it's about the eunuch, but I won't go there. But anyways, it's about the foreigner who comes to God. And Jesus is making a promise, or the Old Testament prophet is making a promise that I'm going to include everybody in this who wants to by faith. And by the way, if it weren't for that, none of us could be saved. But he said, I'm going to include the Gentiles. And Isaiah 56, the emphasis in Isaiah 56 is, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And when the place of God, the people of God rather, when the people of God are a house of prayer, there are not enough seats in this church or in the one we're in the process of building to keep all the hungry, hurting, sinful, lost, and dying people out. Because where the power of God is being displayed and where the prayers of God's people are going up and where there is unity and where there is worship and it is joyful and it is contagious and it is beautiful, I want to tell you something. The world longs to experience that. You've seen those people that say, nobody wants to go to church anymore. I invite them to church. No, they don't. No, they may not want to go to your church, but they want to go to the presence of God. They want to be in the powerful, transforming presence of God. And Jesus, perhaps, some scholars believe that the anger that Jesus displays is rooted in the fact that it's in the court of the Gentiles where he had, the the prophecy was that we're going to include all peoples in this and then we get all peoples in the church and we are corrupt and commercializing the whole process until the point that we're taking advantage of them. And Jesus is saying, no, don't you know this is a house of prayer for all peoples. Worship and prayer attract the nations. Commercialism and self-promotion do not. 
I want to tell you something. You say, I don't know, people, want, people don't want to serve God anymore. No, they don't want, maybe they don't want my brand of behavior. But I want to tell you what they do. They want to be in the presence of God Almighty. And if as a, Christ, a group of Christians, as we come together, if our worship is authentic and our prayer is powerful and transformational and we're honest and unified between ourselves and the presence of God is real here and people leave different, I promise you, we won't be able to keep them away. Because this is for all peoples. This is a house of prayer. A house of prayer that draws and attracts those who need it the most. So what does it look like when you're not a house of prayer? When we're not a house of prayer, meaningful worship is replaced with meaningless ritual. We just go to church, do the same thing. Week after week, we don't really have any heart in it, no joy in it. It's just what we do. Because if I don't go, someone's going to think I'm backslid. The glory of the Lord is lost to the profit of people. We've commercialized Christianity in America. There just ain't no way, other way to look at it. We've commercialized it. We've commercialized it. And not, not that the, all of us are going to hell in a handbasket, but we have. It has become, to a great degree, about the benefit. I, I've, I've said this, I said this to our young people a couple months ago at youth camp. You know, years ago, people crossed over from, sec, uh, from Christian music to secular music because they could make more money. Back in the 60s and 70s, and we all went, the Oak Ridge boys are not Christian anymore. But you know, in the last 20, 25 years, secular artists are crossing over to Christians. Because you, you, you give me a secular artist, I'll find their hymns album. Led Zeppelin sings the hymns, praise God. I don't know if he has a hymns album or not. Time Magazine, on the front of Time Magazine, the Time Magazine said Christianity rocks. And they were talking about this very thing, how people are coming over to Christianity. Why? Because we're all a bunch of suckers. And it doesn't matter if ACDC sings just as I am, we're buying it. Amen? And it becomes not about the glory of the Lord. Thirdly, the world is no longer attracted to the people of God. It's hardly a week goes by that somebody in the Christian world doesn't fall and the world laughs and makes a mockery of us. Someone needs to stand up and say something like Jesus did. And there will be resistance from the faithful. The faithful in quotation marks. And what I mean by that is whenever we decide that we're not just going to be a cute little group of religious folks that goes through a little thing that make us happy and that we're in charge of, then you stand up and say, no, this is going to be the house of God and this is going to be the Spirit of God directed and we're all going to be on our face and no, we don't have all the plans figured out. We just know we're trusting in the Lord. Somebody's going to stand up and say, I don't like that. And I, I worked with a pastor over the last couple of years who was doing his best to introduce his congregation to praying and to praying more and to being a house of prayer for all nations. And that dude don't have a job now. And one of his elders said to me, what's he doing? We all know how to pray. And the moment I think we got prayer figured out and that we pray all that we need to pray is the moment I need to get on my knees and start praying. Amen. So what does that look like for Eastlake in closing? A vision for Eastlake as a house of prayer. I pray that we'll all be committed to prayer. You're a prayer. You're a prayer. Two things we don't delegate at Eastlake. We don't delegate prayer and we don't delegate the Great Commission. So if you're breathing 
and you're here today, you are on the prayer team and you are on the Great Commission team. Amen? Hey, I'm serious. We don't want to delegate those. That, that, that's, you know, churches can survive without some parts. You know, you don't have to have a nursery. It'd be a little noisier in here, but you don't have to have a nursery. You can have church. But that's like an arm. But prayer is the blood. It is the, it is the life cycle of the church. And so my prayer is that all of us would be committed to prayer. Secondly, I pray that we would all know how to pray together. Because as Americans, we know how to pray by ourselves because we're Western individual Americans and we take Matthew chapter 6 very literal. Enter into your closet and we don't want anyone to know when we're praying or how long we pray because we pray by ourselves because we're having our private devotions and there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. But I want to tell you something. You read the Bible. What do you find? The people of God praying together. And let's just go ahead and admit it's awkward to pray in front of other people and talk to somebody who's not in the room physically, right? Anybody know that's awkward? A bunch of liars. You know it's awkward. No, I'm serious. But you know, my prayer, my vision is that God will make us a house of prayer where we, it's okay just to pray for one another at any time and with one another. I want the, there's power, the power in corporate prayer. My prayer is that thirdly, we would have a culture of prayer that is dynamic and contagious. That the world knows, man. This is a place where they really know how to talk to God, and God's there, and God's in their midst, and I want to be there. Fourthly, we would see God move supernaturally among us as we pray. We don't pray because it's a ritual. We pray because it's a privilege, and because the privilege brings about great transformation through the power of God. And finally, I pray that many believers would be drawn to Christ here at Eastlake. As I said a moment ago, when God stirs us and moves us and changes us and moves among us and begins answering prayers, I want to tell you something. We won't even need a billboard. John Wesley said, let the Holy Spirit set you on fire and people will come watch you burn. Amen. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would hear our prayer this morning that East Lake would be a mighty, mighty, mighty instrument of God in this world. Lord, this is our prayer. We don't want to go through meaningless ritual. Lord, we don't want to just please ourselves and appease our own desires. We long, Lord, to be the place where transformation really happens through the power of God. Make us a house of prayer that brings glory to you. Make us a house of prayer that is joyful and transformational. Make us a house of prayer that is attractive and persuasive to the world around us, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com. Or find us on your favorite social media platform, at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.